Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham, on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The traffic jams are back. Cars were at a standstill on the M3 this morning. London was full uh, of cars on the way into work and essential workers are still getting on with the job. As the government considers what to do next and when to do it, we are watching with interest around the world as lockdown is eased in Spain, in Denmark and in Austria. We'll be travelling to all of those places to find out how it's going, to find out precisely what they're doing, why they're doing it, when they're doing it and whether they should be doing it. It's clear now that we are firmly in the sights of an exit plan of some some kind. It is surely just a matter of time. But how can it work and what should be the first sector to reopen? Should it be the schools, the construction workers, uh, uh, building sites, the shops, the pubs? We want to hear from you. This morning we are kicking off with Sean Bailey, candidate for London Mayor and member of the London Assembly. Yesterday he pointed out that there was an unusually high number of COVID-19 deaths for workers on the transport network. If you've got any questions for him, please send them in at Talk Radio or at IROMG. Coming up, we'll be asking why care homes have not been in the spotlight before. Today, we are told that almost 100 homes have reported coronavirus cases in the last 24 hours alone. And of course, we've now got statistics from the Office of National Statistics, which should suggest that the government's figures for the number of deaths from COVID-19 have been actually underestimated because they've only been counting people who have died in hospitals. Surely, care homes were always going to be in the firing line. And my question is, why are the multi-millionaire owners of these places not taking greater precautions both for their customers and their minimum wage workers. I know that many of you will be working in those care homes. Many of you will have loved ones working in those care homes who don't have the right protection. It is not down to the government to make that happen. It is down to the owners of these multi-million pound organisations who make a fortune uh, out of looking after our older people uh, who are in the end of their life and who are very vulnerable and who are, quite frankly, treated pretty disgracefully. I want to hear your stories. 0344 499 
1000. Well, how about your concerns, your questions, uh, and any experiences you can share with us? Make sure you get in touch, even if it's only because you want to talk to someone. And also, we'll bring you the latest news from Malibu, uh, where the beleaguered Harry and Meghan are bravely fighting off the challenge of living in a mansion in California. Harry! Harry! Uh, we've run out of avocados, Harry. 0344 499 1000. We're live streaming on YouTube, Facebook and Twitter. And we want to hear from you as well. What are you seeing on your doorstep? What are you hearing when you're out and about? And with the news that Spain is lifting its lockdown, tell us where we should go next. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Can I just begin by thanking everybody, really, who has uh, sent in some tremendous tweets, some amazing feedback, saying how much you love the station, how much you love Talk Radio, the new listeners that we are getting, and the numbers of people who are watching us now on YouTube, on the live stream, uh, is quite extraordinary. It's quite exponentially uh, increasing, and I thank everybody for realising that we are the home of common sense. You won't get people on this station asking government ministers, when are you going to apologise for not doing this? Why didn't you do that in January? You know, can I just ask you uh, if you now accept that you made a mistake. That's not what we do here at Talk Radio. What we do here at Talk Radio is we get information that you can use and that you can actually uh, operate with so that you know how to deal with this coronavirus outbreak because it's a horrible thing. You know, it was not invented by Boris Johnson. It was not invented by the Tory party. You know, these people on the left who seem to think to want to blame this government. It came from China, right? The Chinese government hid the fact that they had this deadly virus for much longer than they should have done, and their behaviour has been quite disgraceful. So let's not forget who is the real culprit here, OK, before we go on. Let's talk to Sean Bailey, who's at uh, City Hall, of course, or probably not at City Hall. Sean, a very good morning to you. Morning to you, Mike, and morning to all your listeners. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Now, first of all, the first question I always ask our guests is, how are you, how are you getting on? How are you doing uh, your, uh, your thing these days? We are, uh, my family and I are fine. I have quite a young household. My oldest is only um, 13. Our biggest challenge has been um, homeschooling, if yes. the truth be told. Um, it, it's tough. I have a, a, an increased admiration for teachers. Um, I think a lot of I, people do. Well, I hope you're tuning in to us at 12.30 every day. We do a little homeschooling tutorial. So, um, you know, you can have your kids listen to that and give yourself a break for 10 minutes. I tell you what, anything that help, I'll gladly receive. <laughs> so, so we'll probably start with that. And I'm doing most of my business through, you know, Zoom and, and the house party and Skype and all the rest of those things, a lot of social media. And quite a busy time for me because I've been I've been convening with lots of people outside of my immediate community as well, which is which has been very interesting. Yes, absolutely right. Now I was drawn to uh, to get you on today because of a, a very interesting tweet that you put out yesterday with regard to uh, the transport for London situation, where many more uh, people, proportionally speaking, have died uh, on buses and tubes because they work on them uh, than have done in the NHS. Yes, and and I just really want to give my condolences to those families. It's it, it, it's such a shock. You're just doing your job, you know, with your bus or your train or whatever, and, and, and you die because it's dreadful disease. And the reason I put out that tweet is because I'm saying, look, it would be easy for me to score cheap political points. I've tried not to do that. I've tried to convene with the mayor and give ideas around what we should be doing. And he seems to think his responsibility is to attack the government on this. Yes. I'm firmly of the belief that his responsibility is to defend the workers that work for him. 
That is why in the beginning, and I continue to do so, I tried to get constructive things that he could do. I had three points that I really needed him to attack. Right. One was to make sure that the buses were cleaned after every service, right. that drivers were given PPE and um, pu- the public were also given PPE, and that their air con was cleaned as much as possible. And of course, that he made sure this deep cleaning was actually happening. And, 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 and I, don't, I don't know if these three things are done. I, it doesn't seem that way because of a high level of deaths. So what I then did is I tried to source PPE just to make sure it was possible. And it is possible. And yeah. I sent that information to the mayor. If he's acted on it, I don't know. But I believe it's his responsibility to buy this PPE for the London workers who work for him and also for Londoners. Right. He has three billion three billion pounds in reserves across the GLA group and, and TFL. He has the money and Lord knows this is an emergency. And also London is very much at the front and centre of this whole coronavirus outbreak. We're told relatively, uh, sort of repeatedly, that London has a much higher incidence of coronavirus cases than any other part of the country because it is a very densely populated capital city and most of uh, the people that live in one place live in London, as it were. You know, But your question is interesting. How is it possible that under Sadiq Khan you're more likely to contract COVID-19 on a bus than at a hospital treating coronavirus patients? And, and, and the answer to that has been very poor planning. Yes. Anybody who knows anything about London knows that we travel great distances across London. I myself live in Romford, but I work in City Hall. That's a huge distance. Five million people every day use the transport system. So straight away, sorry, the underground. So straight away, we know that there's a lot of contact. He could have acted earlier on to stop it being the deadliest place in the world. But let's be clear, this isn't a fight. This isn't about politics. This is just about the action Londoners need. Please buy the PPE. It, there it exists. Give it out. Make it mandatory that you have to wear PPE on public transport. I mean, it is a bit of a, a shame, really, that in Kenya and in Austria and China, in Kenya, they've got their game together better than we have in London. Something needs to change. Well, what I find extraordinary is I, as I sort of walk around um, and, and drive around London, I drive into work now, I stopped using the tube uh, on the very day that Sadiq Khan decided to put on a weekend schedule because I was, I was frightened for my own safety. And I thought, I'm not going to get on a train where I'm rammed up against other people uh, for the journey that I have to take to go to my essential job. And so now I drive in and I'm grateful that NCP Carp Parks has um, has given the car parking for free around the back of Guy's Hospital for all key workers. I'm also grateful to Sadiq Khan for finally getting rid of the congestion charge, which he initially refused to do, right? But what I see uh, is a very mixed picture. I see some construction workers working. Uh, I see other areas of, say, roadworks completely abandoned, but but still the, uh, you know, the, the fences, those orange and white fences are still up. You know, what is what is the actual policy here? Well, here's the two things. Firstly, on the on the congestion charge in the ULES, I asked and begged and asked and begged for him to remove them. Eventually, he listened and did that, and, yeah. and we welcome that and we thank him for that. Also, with the with the with the train stations, I said to him, in Mayor's question time, what is the rationale for closing the stations you closed? He didn't really give a clear answer, but I gave him the leeway because it's very early on, and he want, I wanted to, to 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 help him, and then and we eventually are beginning to move in the right direction. Um, as it comes to which businesses should be open, actually, that's one of the, the, the chief things the mayor got wrong. He muddied the waters. The construction industry in particular, because of how they work on sites, they're largely outside, they can reduce the numbers, they don't have to stand in front of each other and speak in that sense. They were able to work, but he confused them, so they, they then backed off and didn't work, and he confused the policy. The government have been very clear 
only essential workers. And one of the things I think COVID will show us, what we considered essential workers beforehand, I think has changed now. Mm. For instance, supermarket, super essential. Yeah. We wouldn't have spoken about those people in that way beforehand. But now, every time I go to my supermarket, I just look at the people at checkout and I think, look, if you weren't here, what, what the hell would right. we be doing? And also, you I know, think we need to give a thought as well to the people providing that food, the drivers who are bringing it to the shops, the people exactly. who are actually making the stuff, uh, the people who are packaging the stuff, you know, you know, people in warehouses. I mean, these are all essential people. They are, because we live in an economy which is just in time. We don't store things anymore. It has to all be delivered just before we use it. And that's changed what happens. But the point is this. With some forethought, with some action, we can make London safe. I implore the mayor, this isn't about point scoring. Londoners will not thank him for point scoring. They will for action. So I'm asking him to take the action to make London safe. I've laid out very clearly what that is. If he needs to know more, he can contact me or my team and we'll let him know. One of the things that we try to do here, Sean, as well, is get answers from for, for, for questions that people ask us about. We had a call. I know this is not about London, but I'm hoping that you can give some advice. Uh, and we had a call from a courier in Bristol uh, last week um, who has been laid off effectively from delivering prescriptions because his job has been replaced by volunteer workers who have, who have come in to voluntarily work for the NHS. Now, while we obviously want people to do that and we praise people for doing that, and it's very selfless of them to work for, for literally no money to do a service, but it doesn't seem right if you're going to do a service which is already being done uh, in order to lay somebody off, do you know what I mean? Well, first and foremost, sh nobody should be letting anybody else have that. To me, that's disgusting. And the, the, the way I understand the rules are, you, you, you are, you are your, your job is reserved for you and you should be still be receiving around 80% of your salary from, from the government scheme that's been set up for that. So the first thing that person should do is go back to his employer and say, have I been laid off? Yeah, or have I been furloughed is, is the technical term. Yes. I need to, to, to know that. Um, that's, that's the first thing. And look, the volunteers is a separate issue. None of those people volunteered with the idea that they'd be getting someone to lose their job. They simply didn't do that. It sounds to me like someone's taken advantage of a situation. I don't know that for sure, but the first thing that worker must do is make sure they've been laid off and not furloughed, because if they are, they have access to some salary, and if not, they should be claiming the benefits that the government has given to us all. Yeah. Because the one big will worry about COVID, post-COVID, will be the effect as an employment. That's the thing that terrorises me the most. Yes, exactly right. And what about this um, kind of rather sudden emergence of the care home problem? Because we're hearing this morning from the Office of National Statistics that basically the, the figures that the government are counting uh, of the people dying from COVID-19, uh, which number I think around about 11,000 roughly at the last count, uh, ONS this morning saying it's more like fifteen or 16,000. It doesn't seem to make any sense to me for the government not to actually count people who die from coronavirus, even if they're not in hospital. I think you have to count all the numbers, but, but I think where this came from was the whole action, a large part of the action we've taken has been to defend the NHS yes. to make sure that it isn't overwhelmed. And, and, I, and I think those numbers are separate um, situations to overwhelm the NHS. But as for PPE for, 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 for the care work sector, I know now that oh, I think there have been 761 million pieces of PPE. The issue hasn't been, do we have it? I think the issue has been distribution. Yes. And that's why the, the, um, the government have now called in the army to really get behind it and, and ramp it up and, and get it out there. So hopefully we will, we will have this problem end in, in a day or two. It, it's like anything. You can always do more. Let's make sure we take the biggest actions we can and get the army involved seems like a great step to me. It really does. But also, I think we need to look at the owners of all these care homes because, you know, one of the, the things that everybody 
becomes aware of at a certain time in their life uh, is that when your elderly parents or other people's elderly relatives that you know have to go into care homes, it's a terrible, terrible place to be. It's a ghastly uh, sector to have to navigate because on the one hand, you've got uh, the possibility of losing a home because if you've got a home, you're basically forced to sell it in order to pay for your treatment. If you don't have a home, more than likely you'll have to go into a care home which is slightly less well upholstered and is not very nicely staffed. It's staffed by people on minimum wage. Sometimes the owners of these places are very, very kind of, uh, uh, shall we say, parsimonious with, with their money. Uh, at the moment, it looks as though they're not providing enough PPE for their own workers who are on minimum wage. And I think that's a disgrace. It, it, it is. And like I said, I source, I source PPE from many places across the world. It, 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 it is available. But this goes back to all employers. Any employer listening to this, your first responsibility is to your staff. Whatever your business is, it is predicated on the people who work there. So you should be doing the right thing and reaching out to them. And when we get past corona, a lot of the questions will be asked. And one of the questions I'll be asked is, how did my employer treat me? How did sectors treat large numbers of employees? But how did my employer treat me? And I think that I think some people have tough questions to answer. If you have a profitable business, much as some of, like some of these care homes, it is incumbent on you to make sure that you keep your staff safe. As I don't leave. And yeah. then your business is somewhere else. Right. Come on, step up and look after your staff. That's that's job one. Well, that's exactly right because you know there are some businesses in this world which are operating very well and doing very good things, but there are others who are quite frankly behaving in a disgraceful manner, trying to gouge people, trying to charge more money for things. Some of the uh, travel companies that I'm hearing from uh, from people are you know refusing to give refunds telling people to rebook for next year and then charge you an extra 1,000 quid. You know, we sort of need the, uh, the commercial sector, if you like, to step up here as well. We absolutely do. This is going to sound slightly parochial, but where I live, I, I won't name the place, there, there, there is a, there's a petrol garage that has been charging horrendous prices on all the stuff you buy in there, a lot of supermarket. And what, what has been instructed to me, local people on our WhatsApp groups have been sending round this little message about boycotting once the, um, the, 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 the emergency is over. Right. And I actually think that business is going to heavily regret how they've behaved. Right just now, we have to use them, but in the future we won't, and I think it will come back to bite them in the bum. Yeah, exactly right. And as far as the way that City Hall is operating, and there's many people calling for a return to Parliament in some way, shape or form, uh, which may happen later on this month or it may happen next month, uh, whether it's virtually done or whether it's, you know, a few people at a time going into a chamber. Are you able to continue to hold the Mayor, Sadiq Khan, to account, albeit that you're outside of the building? Absolutely, we hold him to account, but... in. So, excuse me, in, in, in Defence of City Hall, we are about to convene again officially. So I'm about to have my first group meeting, that's me meeting with my other Conservative members virtually. And, and we are now making the plans to bring back some of our committees so that we can scrutinise the mayor properly. We won't be able to bring them all back, but we are bringing back some of the more relevant ones to the, to the, to the absolute mess we're going through now. So that is happening. City Hall's working very hard to make sure that we give proper scrutiny to the mayor. And seeing what other countries are doing finally, Sean, around the, uh, around the world, Spain, Denmark, Austria currently sort of lifting uh, the, the various um, you know, shutdowns that they've been operating, France talking about bringing schools back. Can you see schools coming back at first uh, when, when we decide to lift a lockdown? I've got a question here from Sean. He says, how can schools safely return with exercise and social distancing uh, with classes of 25 plus? Well, I mean, that's a very good question, isn't it? it the thing I'd say... 
we, we have to respond to the science. Young people, school age, are at the least risk, it would be my understanding. Yes. Um, so I think they can start, but most parents can't go back to work until their children are in school. I certainly couldn't go back until mm. my children's school. So I think it's one of the major tipping points. It will all, it'll all be predicated on, is it safe to do? And, and, and there is no other question to, to answer. People keep saying what's going on in Austria, what's going on in Spain, whatever. Mm. They are different countries with different demographics, with different travel patterns, with different um, age spreads. So we, we can't copy them. We can only learn from them. And we need, to, we need to do that when it's right for us. And I personally would err on the side of caution. Missing a, a, an extra week of work is, is devastating. Dying is even worse. Yeah. So therefore, I would err on the side of caution. Yes. Let's see what the government comes up with and what the science says. I think you're absolutely right. Sean, pre pre pleasure to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Sean Bailey, uh, candidate for Mayor of London, member of the London Assembly, holding uh, to account Sadiq Khan, the Mayor of London, who's more interested in having a go at the government than he is about sorting out London. Do your job, Sadiq. Get on with it. And call the show once in a while when we ask you, will you? Instead of hiding, because you've got some answers and we have got some questions to ask you. This is Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, we are, of course, live streaming on uh, uh, Facebook, on Twitter, but mostly on YouTube, which is where you should go. You should like us, you should subscribe to us, and there you will see all sorts of clips of all manner of things that we've been doing uh, over the course of the last few months, and it's been uh, an absolute privilege to be working here uh, and keeping you informed about exactly what is going on out there because there's an awful lot of nonsense being spoken. There's an awful lot of difficulty out there for an awful lot of people and if you've got any problems that you need us to try and find an answer for uh, by talking to any of the politicians that's exactly what we want you to do but let's talk to Professor Anthony Glees uh, he's from the Centre for Security and Intelligence Studies at the University of Buckingham Anthony a very good uh, morning to you Good morning, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. We haven't spoken for a little while. I mean, I suppose this might turn into a quite wide-ranging conversation, if you don't mind, because, I mean, it's not just about Huawei anymore, the Chinese thing, is it? It's about China. It is indeed about China, and I think we are seeing a kind of merging of the 5G issue yeah. with a much wider angst about China, about the role that China could play in our affairs in Europe. And it's kind of symbolized by the fact that we've seen people, you know, claiming that 5G masks are spreading coronavirus, that's a Chinese plot yes. to destabilize. The yeah, one, there's a, there's a one theme. fact denial of that story, right? Because there's only apparently five countries in the world that actually have 5G masks. So <laughs> yes. um, if that was actually true, no, coronavirus would only be in five countries. Absolutely. I, it, it is complete nonsense. And in fact, ever since the invention of radio waves, people have been claiming that, you know, they give you cancer, this, that and the other. Uh, hundreds of hundreds of experiences show there is absolutely no truth in any of that. Radio waves entirely safe and 5G waves are entirely safe and they have absolutely nothing to do with coronavirus. And coronavirus is not a secret drug invented by the Chinese People's uh, National Liberation Army or by the CIA or anybody else. <laughs> no, exactly right. However, um, you know, the trade deals and the future relationship, not only economically, but I suppose culturally with China and the rest of the world, uh, is going to be under severe scrutiny, isn't it? Very much so. And I, I think, you know, we, we, we have a prime minister fighting for his life, but now restored and, and getting better. We hope, we hope he gets better very quickly because one of the things that he has really got to decide very 
soon is what our attitude towards China should be. He's facing a huge amount of flack, particularly from some of the most ardent Brexiters in his own party, Ian Duncan Smith, Liam Fox, David Davis and Anne, who are very anxious that his decision, the decision he took some weeks ago, that we would go with Huawei in order to roll out 5G as quickly as possible in the UK, that that decision should somehow be rescinded. And of course, in the United States of America, President Trump and his administration is also putting huge pressure on the British government to turn that decision around and say no to Huawei. Yes, because while at the time of the kind of Theresa May prime ministership, uh, it appeared that Huawei was really the only place to go. Presumably, all bets are now off in, in every simple way about the economy, about the way that we structure our infrastructure from this point on, you know, the, the big spending projects that we may or may not now be able to afford to do. You know, this is almost like ground zero for uh, a restart of the government once we get out of this. Well, I think that's exactly so. And I suspect that if Boris Johnson were having this conversation with you rather than Anthony Gleeson, he would say that is the precise reason why we need to get cracking with 5G, why we need to roll it out as soon as possible. And I myself think he is right. I would not wish this country to be faced with the choice that it is faced. I would wish that this country could work together with other countries in the European Union mm. to develop a European 5G network. But it's not going to happen. It is simply not going to happen. If we can't work together with them over the supply of ventilators, we're not going to be able no. to work with them over 5G. So there is no alternative, in my view, and precisely because we have taken such a huge and will take such a huge economic hit from the fight against coronavirus, 5G is going to be vital to kickstart the British economy, the British service economy. 80% of what we do is services, not to mention the rollout for education, higher education, schooling. It's all going to transform the way these things are delivered. And we can't afford to say no. And I think Boris Johnson is absolutely right on that. Yeah. And what pr presumably will happen next, right, is once certain countries begin to lift their lockdowns, as, as they are starting to do in Europe, we will find some method of doing so as well. Um, in your view, what would be the first sort of thing that might be released, if you like? Well, I, th I mean, oddly enough, I also think 5G, which we don't have, but good uh, communications is also going to be vital in addressing and managing the coronavirus problem and future pandemics that undoubtedly will come our way. I mean, look what we have suffered from in the United Kingdom, an absence of data. Yeah. We haven't known how many people are sick. You know, it's, it's incredible in the era of Facebook in the information age that we still don't know, we may know in a few minutes, of course, but up to this time, we have not known how many people have perished in our care homes from this yes. fearful virus. So we need connectivity. We need data. Mm. We need to understand how to use data. And uh, not only in terms of our health, because with 5G, we could know in real time if there are sufferers in our vicinity. 
And if you fall into one of the endangered categories here, you would know to keep away. Right. So would that... Would that say, get the hell out of here. Yeah, I mean, would yeah. that have some bearing on that story we did yesterday from the Sunday Times about the, the app that, uh, that Apple and Google have, have been working on, which is, Absol the, which is the tracing tracing app? So, so that would work with 5G only, would it, or, or would it work without? Well, the, it, it, it would work far best and far more efficiently with 5G because uh -huh. of the speed of 5G. Right. So you might get the information 10 minutes after you sat next to somebody yeah. with coronavirus on the train. Right. That's not much good. You get it in real time, you can slip away before those uh, viruses have had a chance to shed themselves on your skin. Yes. And, and uh, you know, this sounds like science fiction, but it isn't. But it does because, I mean, you know, going forward again, after this is all over, and I, I, I sort of say those words sort of slightly, um, you know, with trepidation because I'm not sure it will ever be in, in you know, inverted commas, over. But, um, you know, do, does that kind of surveillance and that kind of technology and that kind of AI, I suppose you might even call it, then govern our lives? Well, I think it does. And people like me have been saying for some time, you know, you've got the civil liberties lobby. You've got people like David Davis who don't like the idea yeah. of the collection of data. You've got people like Ian Duncan Smith and Liam Fox who don't like the idea of China. And I don't like the idea. Nobody in their right mind likes the idea of China. But that's not what it's about. It's about our national interest. It's about keeping our people safe and we in Britain have always been the fastest in Europe to exploit new technology mm. with debit cards, all that kind of stuff, years before yes. other countries like Germany had it. And 5G is the only show in town. And that is the issue for education. You ask me, you know, what should after health, what should it be? It should be our schools. It should be our universities. Now, some of that teaching in the future, will be done via 5G. There is no doubt. Higher education, universities, yeah. people don't well, need to go off. I, exactly. <laughs> I mean, if you think about the fact that this virus probably will be with us for a long time, um, you know, I think there's going to have to be a change in the way that we travel. Uh, there's going to have to be a change in the way that rush hour is handled in terms of trains, um, because obviously it's going to now be a bad idea to be crushed into trains with thousands of other people, um, you know, breathing all over you. And so, if, you know, if the more people that can stay uh, uh, away from going to a workplace at a particular time, the better. And certainly I've been talking to different parts of the world through this various, this crisis. And over in the UAE, for example, all of the schools are still holding lectures for the children and lessons for the children. You know, they wake up in the morning, they register online, there's a camera, they can see the teacher, the teacher can see them, you know, and it is still going, the classroom scenario is going on online. Ab absolutely. I mean, I'm told that in Finland, for example, where, of course, they made Nokia uh, phones in those days, uh, world Those leaders, were the days. Uh, they... Uh, Kids for the past two years have not had a school book. Every secondary school child gets the choice between a tablet or a laptop. Right. They can keep it forever, and it's fully loaded with all the books, all the stuff they need in order to, to graduate, and they're happy with it. Of course you need social inter interaction. That's why we've got to you know, get masks, get all this stuff as quickly as possible. But in the future, real-time electronic delivery of instruction is going to be a very important adjunct and save people why spend you know vast 
thousands on going away to university. Yes. When the university can come to you at home... Well, think of the savings in terms of just things like student loans. You know, you don't have to pay for a hall of residence. I mean, it might be that you don't fancy doing it from your bedroom, but, but hey, you know, it's it's a lot cheaper as an alternative. It's a lot cheaper. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm an elderly man. When I was 20, uh, y- y- your parents simply wouldn't let you have girls or whatever in, 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 in your ro- uh, room. And being a student, going away, it meant you could de- kind of develop your own adult life. These days, parents couldn't care less about that kind of thing. So the, the, the importance of rolling out this stuff as quickly as possible to get this country on its feet again is huge. It doesn't mean we like China. It doesn't mean we trust Huawei 100%. We have to rely on our spooks. They say they're happy with it. That, I think, should be the end of the story. It's a glimmer of hope. And, and, you know, we're not going to change the Chinese system by saying no to Huawei. They're not going to change the way they do things. We are not in a position to force them to give up mm. communism, but we are in a position to benefit from their technological expertise. Sure. And we should go for it. Sure. But on the other hand, uh, the Americans might take a different tack on that, and the Americans are already uh, talking amongst themselves about how can we maybe legally go after China for spreading this terrible virus, because that's where it emanated from. And if Donald Trump does get in for another four years, I'm not even sure there's going to be an election, to be honest, this year. <laughs> but, if, but if there is one, he's going to win it, because Biden's got no chance. And in the end, um, you know, Trump could, could mess around with China uh, and he, he could put pressure on them. But, but the thing about Trump is that he is totally unpredictable. He really does say the first thing that comes into his head. Mm-hmm. And he knows that, uh, yes, there is a danger of Chinese espionage via Huawei, not because necessarily Huawei want it, but because the law in China imposes an obligation should the Chinese government want it. But equally, Trump knows that if we were to take an American uh, system, Motorola, for example, not that it's up and running, it would be the Americans who would have control over our communications. We are between a rock and a hard place. You have People are going to have to choose, I think, between China, that still has a lot of money to invest in Europe, and America that wants to put America first with a president who loses his rag at the first opportunity and is just as likely to cut the kill switch on Britain if he has it. Well, that's the other thing, though. But I mean, if he's in the midst of an election battle and he takes a hard line on China, his supporters are going to love that. And he he will be, be catapulted into the White House for another four years even faster. Well... It is true that he's, I mean, he's tried, hasn't he, with coronavirus all the time yeah. to talk about China. It's the China. It's their <laughs> flu. And, and, Very good, and that. <laughs> I said I do the impressions on this show. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, but, no, you know, he, he, he has seen a way of weaponizing uh, this virus as if it was not already lethal. And, yes, the Chinese made terrible mistakes, yeah. which we've Well, they all lied about it as well. But they are now beginning to understand that they have got to behave responsibly. And, as I say, they've got the cash, because we've been buying things from China for so long. They've got the currency to inject into your... They are already doing it. I mean, people don't know the extent to which China has rebuilt ports in Israel, in Greece, in the Netherlands. The infrastructure projects that they do 
are enormous. Oh, well, they're all over Africa, aren't they? I mean, they, and, and, the, and the South Pacific. All over Africa. And yes, we should keep our distance. This is not a marriage anybody is proposed. It's not a love affair. But what Trump has achieved, I think, is that uh, there are people to whom he's close in the British Conservative Party who are using our utter contempt for the Chinese political system to pull the carpet out from under our feet when it comes to getting going again mm. with our trade. It's ironic that the hardest Huawei opponents are also the hardest Brexiters. But it's precisely because we Brexited that we need this stuff. And I think that, you know, who knows about Trump? You're absolutely right. We don't hear anything from Biden. It's hard to see how he can win a presidential no. election if he doesn't come out of his well, bunker. Well, as long as you just watch him on his adverts, he's fine. But as soon as he actually starts opening his mouth and appearing live, he's an absolutely <laughs> dead man, you know, hopeless. That's right. There we are. Well, listen, Professor, fantastic talking to you. Thank you very much indeed. Professor Anthony Glees there uh, doing his own impersonation of uh, Donald Trump. Um, I don't really do... I have done Trump in the past, but uh, I mostly stick to Megan. Megan. Because today, Harry, we've run out of avocados and uh, we're stuck in Hollywood again. This is Talk Radio. 
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. I've just seen a Facebook post from Alex Farrell, who is, of course, the breakfast show producer. Uh, apparently his mother's 70th birthday today. So happy birthday, Mum. Uh, well done. Um, Alex is not a bad guy, I have to say. Uh, now, here's some more good news. News of a fantastic new competition on Talk Radio called Golden Years, where you could win £1,000. Yes, we've got a grand in hard cash to be won, and to be in with a chance to win it, all you need to do is identify which year the following stories and events made the news. Greetings to all of you, wherever you are in the world, at whatever time of day, and an enormous welcome to the City of London. Uh, if you think you know the answer, just text the word WIN and the year concerned now to 85544. That's 85544. Calls cost £1.50 plus your standard network rate. Entries must be received by 3pm on Friday, April the 17th. And the winner, drawn from all the correct entries, will be announced in the Drive Time Show that day. Terms and conditions apply. See the Talk Radio competitions page for more details. That would be quite handy, wouldn't it? £1,000 in the old skyrocket, as they say. Don't forget as well, later on today, Carol Decker and Kevin O'Sullivan are going to join me for the recording of Plank of the Week. And I have to say, once again, we are inundated uh, with nominations because there have been an awful lot of idiots around this week, an awful lot of planks, uh, and we'll be uh, putting them into a top ten, which you'll be able to listen to a little bit later on. Let's talk to Chris, uh, who's in Tring. Hello, Chris. Afternoon. Afternoon, sir. What can I do for you? Uh, yeah, just a little bit, these, uh, the PPE and care homes and all that. Yes. Um, it wasn't that long before this came about that um, there was all these stories about how badly run care homes were, right. all the stuff that was going on. Um, one of my points is, and I don't want to go against the trend of things, I'm sure they're doing a great job, but care home owners have made millions out of the system over the last few years looking after more and more aged people. Yeah. Why, in that case... Were they not any more prepared for something like this than the government? Well, why exactly. have they been holding the down and blaming everybody else? Right. No, I, I totally get that, Chris. That's why this morning I wanted to take them to task, because the government is producing and supplying as much of the PPE as they can get their hands on. And these horrible, ghastly owners are millionaires, living abroad mostly, uh, and are just sucking it up, and they're not giving out the, uh, the, the protective stuff. It's too, it's too easy to blame somebody else. So, uh, bus drivers. Yeah. So the convict fault, not the bus driver, right. not the health service, not the manufacturers of PPE, but some bureaucrat by vastly overpaid point push, pen pusher in office yeah. somewhere that has ordered the wrong stuff or didn't bother looking quickly enough. Yeah. And it's sitting in this nice country house miles away from a 16th floor flat in Peckham where people are struggling. Exactly right. responsibility people. It's a joke. I mean, it really is. I'm, I can hear the anger in your voice, Chris, and you're quite right to be angry. I'm angry about it as well. Thank you for calling. Very good point made. You know, we've got to stop this ridiculous, relentless, you know, kind of dictum that the seemingly woke generation have got that because they don't like the Tories, they're going to have a go at the government over this. The government are doing the best job that they can do. It may well be that they should have done certain things sooner. It may well be that they could have done other things better. But this is a global pandemic. There's a worldwide shortage of PPE, and they are now delivering millions and millions and millions of pieces of it. And if you don't protect the bus drivers and the train drivers and the people working on the underground system, you know, that is not the fault of the government. That is the fault of the Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan. Let's talk to Derek in Hastings. Hello, Derek. Mike, hello. How yeah. are you? Yeah, very well, sir. What can I do for you? Well, I thought I'd just um, say to you um, how surprising, you know, what is about this P... Uh, what do you call it? PPE. Um, yeah. PPE um, equipment. I mean, my mum was in a care home um, between Hastings and Rye. OK. We, we pay a lot of money um, each week. Right. Uh, and, you know, they, yes, they, they correct 
correctly, very correctly stopped us visiting about um, four weeks ago, right. which, uh, which I felt was the right thing. Mm. Um, however, I'm really shocked to hear the care home people sort of saying, oh, it's up to the government to supply us with, yeah. with stuff to, to protect us from the residents. Yeah. Well, the, resi the residents aren't going to give them the illness, are they? Well, quite. Well, you know, the point is, is that it's their job, surely, to spend money on protecting their own staff, isn't it? Well, I would have said so. And, and if they... I mean, whereas, like, the hospital staff, if they, they're at risk, can't go home, they're staying in hotels and all this sort of thing. Right. If, if the care home staff are being... Um, risky in, if you like, in their lifestyle. Not, not, I'm not saying that as a critical uh, comment, just as an observation yeah. of reality. Right. I mean, if, if their lifestyle is such that they're bringing a risk to the people who are, who, are, who are in the home and living there, then surely it's up to the care home provider to, to take uh, proper means mm. to protect the residents. At the very least. After all, the residents are their income, aren't they? Well, also, the thing that annoys me here is that the residents are the customers as well. So, effectively, you know, they are, they, they are duty-bound to look after their customers as opposed to seeing them as sort of patients that are just a bit of a, a pain in the neck who are hanging around, you know, until such time as they vacate this particular part of the planet, you know? What, what, well, so, what, what sort of communications are you getting from them, Derek? They... Um... Well, the, the care home manager, um, I mean, I have to say, they're, they're mostly Romanian stuff, but they're very good, and they're good quality people. Uh -huh. um, but they've set up a, a Skype link that we can use. Oh, that's good. We can, we can talk to mum on, on the Skype. Yeah, and, that's good. Uh, and we've done that, you know, um, a few times. And um, although she's got dementia, so it's not the most meaningful of conversations, but she, she knows where... But she can see are. you, that's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's... And it, and it's okay. You know, mm. that, that that part of it is is fine. Um, so, but 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 I just felt quite shocked when I started hearing all this criticism of the government yeah. over the fact that they're not providing the equipment. Well, surely you know we're paying a, a grand or fifteen hundred pound a week. Some people yeah. pay for this this care. Then, then these people should be providing uh, yeah. it. And they're making a profit. It's not as if they're doing it for, you know, for no profit. So you're absolutely right, Derek. Very good point. Thank you for making it. Archie is in Inverness, a very far northern part of this country. Archie, a very good uh, afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. I was wanting to explain about the situation with the care homes. Yes. OK, so you've got a lot of care homes, and they are actually a sign that the society is actually dying. Because in a time long gone, you would find that British people would have large families and they'd be able to look after their old people. Uh -huh. But right now you've got a lot of um, care home workers, not all of them, but a lot of them are foreign and they actually don't care about the people they're looking after. Really? Why do you think yeah. there are so many foreign people in care homes? Oh, no, I'm saying there's foreign workers because... It's well, yeah, but why do, you, why, do you think, why do you think they're there, Archie? The workers or the people? The workers. They're there because they want to earn money in our economy because our economy is thriving. No, they're there because they're there because the British people can't look after people in care homes. Who says that? I'm saying it. So you're saying that British people don't look after their own people. I'm saying that they can't get they can't recruit British people to do the job, so they recruit people from other countries. They don't re they don't recruit British people because there's no incentives right now. The main parties we what have. What do you do for a living, Archie? Labor. What do you do? Me. Yeah. Why do you ask? Because I want to know. You rang my okay, show. Well, I'm entitled to ask you a question. What do you do for a living? 
I run hotels. Do you? Do you have any foreign yeah, workers? No, I've got British workers. They're all local workers. It's like a very old What's, town what's the name of the hotel? I'm not going to give it its location. You don't really run a hotel at all, no, Archie, do you? I do. It's in no, Loch you Ness. Don't. Oh, it's in Loch Ness, I've got nothing is it? To say. I know, no, 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 Archie, you don't have any this more to say. Happening. No, goodbye. Let's talk to John in Brighton. Hello, John. Hey, good afternoon. Good How are you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Not at all, thank you. Thank you. Um, I wasn't sort of trying to undermine in any way, obviously, the absolute importance that we focus on the most vulnerable, who clearly are the elderly. That's who the disease seems to be hitting most. But I just... I picked up on the end of one of your callers' conversations about them in care homes and that, of course, being the worst possible scenario. And I just wanted to point out that whilst physically perhaps children, well, we know children aren't anywhere near as vulnerable, we do have a significant number of children's homes and the psychological damage of them all, I mean, you know, damaged children to start with, but quite volatile. and, And So what I'm seeing now, this has unnerved me, is these alternative children's homes have actually become alternative secure units because they have weight for this, like SIA licensed door staff parading around children's homes now right. um, to keep them in and to make them, you know, observe the, obviously the lockdown. Plenty of people will think that doesn't go over the top, but I just, I've, I've been in those care homes my yes. entire life. And I, I mean, I don't know I, if you, you know the answer to this, John, but I mean, how many kids do you think are in homes like that in the country? Well, we think 65 to 75,000 children are in care. Hopefully, the majority of those, and I'm sure they are actually in homes. In, fo- in foster, foster homes, yeah. Exactly. But I'll bet you we don't have any, and of course, the number going into care because parenting skills have hardly improved over no. the last decade. Um, no, it's a very good point. Be- I must admit, it's not something I'd ever thought about. We might have to take a look at it and see what, uh, what the situation is because you're quite right. There must be an awful lot of kids who are oh, just absolutely the end of their tether. Oh, and, and of course, so taken out of their family home, often in horrid circumstances, placed somewhere strange along with somebody else who came from somewhere where it was pretty vulnerable. So that the, there's always a level of aggression in these cases. They're young teenagers going through puberty, etc. Yeah. Male hormones. And so, so they're already volatile. Now imagine they are forcibly locked yes. down. And now they have skulking, great big tattooed sort of henchmen wandering around monitoring them. It must be spooky, Mike. It must and be. And they are just yeah. children. I know. know. It must be dreadful. But, I mean, that's, this is the, these are the sort of the unseen consequences of something like this. And I'm not sure what you can do about it, really, because, I mean, as much as, as, as we want it, we all want it to be over, we all want it to be at an end, but, but at the same time, we also know that we have to be so careful that people don't die needlessly. But you hit the nail on the head earlier when you said about what we if nothing else comes out of this, what there has to be is a massive introspective reflection on every single thing we have in society, how yes. it's structured, right. pay salary, you know, why is a consultant getting half a million and free parking in the car park and my ex girlfriend, the nurse, getting just an average can have a bottle of gin at the end of the month and having to pay yeah. for her parking in the same car park. I know. It, We've seen how bad, I'm not one of these, you know, redistribution of wealth people, but isn't it interesting that the last two sections of society who I've seen a reference to, and still Bob Buckland hasn't arrived on the scene, mind to discuss prisons, are prisoners and children in care. And, you know, there's a cycle that we will see perpetuated until we see, A, the correlation between children in care, a number that is disproportionate in prisons, and start to address 
that yeah. and, and to start treating them like bloody human beings. Yes, I couldn't agree more. Very, very good call, John. Thank you so much for saying that because uh, it's something that I hadn't thought of and I think maybe we should take a look at the children in care situation because it must be ghastly uh, if you are in a lockdown in a children's home um, and it must be just dreadful. I can't imagine anything worse. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is just after 12.30, so it is that time uh, when we have the homeschooling section of the show. So if you haven't done it yet, gather your children around the radio uh, or in front of the television where you're currently watching us on YouTube uh, and uh, have a listen to this because this is going to be very practical advice today. Uh, we're going to speak to Ryan, uh, Ryan Murray, painter and decorator from Murraytown and Country Projects because Ryan, uh, who is a regular caller to this show, uh, has been chosen for his expertise because painting ain't as easy as it looks. Ryan, a very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, sir. Thank you very much for putting me to practical use. Yes, and I'm very happy to do so. I, I was delighted when I saw that you were going to be the guy giving us the advice because, funnily enough, I was just talking to somebody this morning um, who I couldn't get hold of all day yesterday, and I said, what have you been doing? He said, oh, I've been painting my bedroom. And I said, well, that's great, because today we've got advice for you on how to do it. And he said, well, I wish I'd had it yesterday because I've made a right mess of it. Because I think the thing is, right, people think that these kinds of tasks are easy to do, um, but they're really not, are they? Uh, they're, well, they're not, that's it. I mean, I must emphasise that if you, if you are sort of a, a stickler for wanting things to look amazingly good in your home, you should always get a professional to do it, because, uh, one, I don't want to do myself out of work, and two, I have seen people's house, houses before and their attempts, and they do sometimes... Uh, you know, they, it, do, it, it does put emphasis on how much it is actually a skill mm. um, rather than just a normal. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, I'm every, I mean, anyone can do it, but it's not a question of just doing it; it's doing it properly. So, tell us what you do uh, as the first steps of. Uh, are you going to tell us about painting a wall, or rather, or something inside? Well, I mean, I've basically written down some uh, sort of notes on paint the wall because that's what sort of Cornelius asked. Okay. And really, there's a bit of a, a extra sort of need for having at least one decent wall at the moment because there's a lot of people working from home and I yes. guarantee that they've turned their webinar camera against the best wall in the house <laughs> and probably set up their computer in a weird corner. Right, so this is, an in, this is a wall inside the house, not outside? Yes, inside, yeah. Okay, fine. So, so you're sitting in your study, you've decided you might want to pr spruce it up a little bit. So, so what, do you, what do you do first? Well, of course, uh, the, the main part of, to any sort of job when it comes to decorating is the prep. The prep's mostly important. Um, you obviously got to make sure that you've got some old clothes on because a lot of people make that mistake. Yes. They're not going to get messy, but they are. One flick of a brush, you can finish off everything around you uh, <laughs> if you're not careful. Yeah. Um, and obviously, uh, covering up the floors, uh, make sure you put something down that's uh, decent enough. If it's only cotton or like an old sheet, make yeah. sure you put a couple of them down because one drip of paint will leak through it. Yes. Um, things like this. But really, uh, yeah, it's about uh, looking at your wall and seeing what it needs. If it's got some holes, obviously they need to be filled. Um, and uh, if they've got sort of uh, little nibs on them from the painting previous, it's best to give it a sand down and uh, a bit of a scrape yeah. to sort of get rid of those. Now, so you've already stumped me there because you're telling me to fill in the little holes, right? Now, you tell me how to... You, I don't know how to do that. So how do I fill in the little holes? What's the best way? Well, you can get some ready-mixed fillers, probably the best, um, if, if you're not used to mixing up the powder form. Um, but you just uh, get a tub of ready-mixed filler and... and uh, sort of spatula, if you like, and okay. uh, sort of apply it in there and, and sort of put it as flush as you can. But give it a bit of time to dry. You can just then get your sandpaper when you're rubbing the wall down and rub okay. the filler down with the wall. And would you get, um, you'd get all this stuff from your local B&Q or somewhere, right? 
Yeah, I believe there are a couple of um, uh, major chains that are still open doing counter services. Yeah. A lot of the smaller independent ones haven't. The hardware stores seem to be open, so okay. you can go to them and get a good bit of advice off them if okay. which products to sort of use. Um, uh, and really, yeah, about prepping the services. I mean, the masking tape can be an enemy because people uh, rely on it too much. And if yes. they don't put it down properly, they can paint over it and it'll all leak behind mm. and make it, worse, make it even worse of a job. So really, the best thing is a, a steady hand for, right. for cutting in, which is when you get your paint. It's best to not shake the paint, mix the paint. Right. Uh, with what a, about, I mean, in terms of uh, a steady hand, if you, say you're painting a wall and you're going uh, down to the skirting board, then are you saying best not to put um, masking tape on it? Well, it, it basically, you can put a bit of masking tape on it, but really, if it's a darker colour you're doing the wall on, it's yeah. so that when you roll the wall, you don't splatter all the, the, the little spots all over the, it. So really, it's more of a practical use of not actually for getting a decent line. Okay. Um, if you want to, if you want, you can use it to get a decent line. You've got to push it down really hard. Sometimes right. you push it down too hard, you rip it off, you rip your old paint off underneath. Yes. So, so are you a roller man or a brush man? Uh, I'm, I'm increasingly more of a spray man this, these days, but really? I am a roller man, really. And, okay. and I've done only a few homes where we brushed them from top to bottom, and that's the old way. Yes. They used to use four-inch brushes, and I haven't got the wrist power for that anyway. So. That's, yeah, that must be uh, quite uh, quite tiring on the old wrist. But what? So if you're using a roller, um, I mean, whenever I've, whenever I've done it, I, I then usually tend to, to do the steady hand bit by the uh, skirting board with a with a brush. Yes, of course. Yeah, you always see, yeah, you roll in the middle, you, you cut in around the edges. So you, your most important lines to cut in would be the one to the skirting board mm. and the one to the ceiling because they're the ones that you don't really want to affect. They're the ones that people see so much. You can get a decent line down the sides of the walls, but normally you paint more of the walls, uh, you know, all four of the walls anyway, so it won't right. really matter. But the two you cut in most of the, the skirting board line and the... Um, the ceiling line. You obviously want to have as steady a hand as possible, so it's best not to have a drink beforehand. <laughs> We've done three weeks of lockdown. I thought that maybe some well, people might actually need a drink. Easy for you to it. say. What about <laughs> um, uh, what about the, uh, the 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 undercoat and and the top coat? Is it should they be different in terms of different types of paint? Well, you can get some some of the more expensive paints, um, uh, the more traditional types. Uh, they have their own sort of undercoat colours, which. Uh, which people often forget and then they moan and say, oh, I've just paid £100 for this paint and it's absolutely rubbish. But mm. really, if you actually look deeper, they've got undercoats for the walls, which is very rare nowadays. But um, really, if you've got a darker colour, you should block it out with like a white or um, something that's a bit lighter, maybe put in a pre-coat with a bit of water to block the colour off first and then put right. two full coats on of what you're, you're going to be putting on. You should normally cover most colours. And, and what's uh, your preference for things like... You know, because there's so many different kinds of paint. Is it a gloss paint, matte paint? Is it just down to a sort of personal preference? Well, it's for the walls. I mean, if you've already got a shiny paint on the wall, like a silk, uh, a lot of people have got that in, like, kitchens yeah. and, and bathrooms and things like that. If you're going to then paint over it with one of the stronger mats that are on offer nowadays, um, you've still got to remember to give it a really good rub down because you can have things happen like the eggshell effect or... Uh, little bubbles that appear because yeah. you've applied something matte over the top of something shiny. Okay. Um, but there's a, well, I've been using an interesting paint, uh, ironically enough, in the last uh, well, year or so, doing um, NHS buildings uh, that I've been working on in the evenings, and they've, they've been using an antibacterial paint, which is oh. actually apparently to kill off bacteria and viruses when they hit them. Okay. Um, they're about triple the price of normal paint. Maybe everyone but, um, will want, want that at home. Well, that's just what I'm thinking. It's, you know. it's probably going to take off, and they've probably done well to price it quite high in the first. <laughs> I think that now it's going to, it's going to take off uh, quite a bit. But um, 
that's a very unusual product. Most people obviously just go for a normal mat, and you can get yeah. these scrubbable mats now, which uh, they didn't have a few years ago, which means that you can actually put a cloth over it without wiping away what you've just done okay. when the kids get hold of it and start tattooing it everywhere. Right. So. And a couple of people have asked me some questions, like where can you, I mean, presumably you're going to say those, those bigger outlets, but where can you even get paint at the moment? Well, let's say hardware stores have normally got a, a fair bit in stock. Your local hardware store, from what I can gather, all uh, the two that I've got in my area are open. Uh, if you phone them, they're doing a, like a pre-order service, or both of them, I've, I've noticed, are counter services. So you can walk up, queue up, and then they go off and get it for you and just bring it to a makeshift counter by the front door. And um, they're sort of uh, open to them. But I think they're, they're, they're open because obviously they're a bit of a necessity, a bit of essential. Right. Uh, and so another question I've got is, what, have you got any tips for painting the ceiling? Because, I mean, that's one of the difficult ones, isn't it? I mean, I always find no matter how hard you try, you get just splattered face with paint all over it and your hair's full of paint. Well, that's it. I mean, the good thing is if you're going to do a whole room and you're going to do the walls, obviously do the ceiling first because that way you don't have to cut the ceiling in because often you've got coving and right. you've got a tiny little edge. And that would be really annoying to cut in if you're not a professional. So really what you can do is not even worry about cutting in the walls. You can literally just hit the wall with your brush um, slightly as you're painting the ceiling, cut the whole ceiling in, and then roll it. Um, like I say, make sure you've got everything underneath you covered. And a bit of a slightly longer roller pole, if you roll it a bit away from you, because obviously rolling it over the top of your head, you are yes. going to get absolutely covered. Right. And, um, yeah, you're going to get, unless you've got a decent roller, you're going to get spray everywhere. Right. So. And what about things like... Um, because I, I don't see it so much now, but I remember my dad, when he used to paint years and years ago, um, would always have turpentine um, to clean the brushes. Do you still use well, that? They, you, know, they, you do. Uh, I, as a professional, I prefer oil-based paint because, um, one, I know how to use it without getting it everywhere, and uh, it does actually dry back, despite the smell for a couple of days, it dries back so hard um, that it's actually really good to practically use. Okay. But the thing is, is, a lot of people don't like it so much because it's not as environmentally friendly and there's a lot of water-based products. We don't care about that anymore, though, because now we're in this lockdown situation. You know, all of our sort of green credentials have gone out the window. We haven't heard from Greta for a while. Yeah, I don't turpentine, actual real old turpentine. I don't think you can get any more. So. Really? Yeah. It's white spirit. Do you yeah. know the other thing he used to, ha used to do, and which always fascinated me, he used to hang an onion from the uh, the central light cord, um, a peeled onion, which he said got rid of the smell quicker, and it actually did. It does. It did. It, 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 yeah, it, it does work like that. It's um, and also an old thing as well is um, for drinking milk. If you're using a lot of the smelly paint, because the milk will actually uh, detox your body uh, of the fumes a lot quicker. Oh, really? One for personally, but yeah, the the old onion trick I have heard, and apparently it does work. So. Okay. All right. Yeah. And so, how is your how is your business going, Ryan, at the moment? Because obviously you're having to go in and out of people's properties um, and and offices, presumably. Are you able to do that? Uh, well, I was up until the last, uh, the actual official lockdown day, which was three weeks ago yesterday, I believe. Right. Um, I've come home from a job, which was basically uh, a, a big technology park up in uh, Surrey, and no one was uh, actually working there. They were all working from home. So we had the run of the place really on our own. There was only two or three of us workers that I trusted very well, so I didn't mind actually spending time with them. But they overrode our job and said that we're actually going to close the site down so i've been off for three weeks as a stay-at-home dad and i've been enjoying every bit of it so. yeah no there are nice there are nice parts of it for some people if we are lucky enough to have to have nice people to spend time with so that's good well listen that was brilliant ryan thank you very much it's i feel i feel renewed as if i know an awful lot more now about doing it and it might even inspire a few people to do it because you know after a while you're going to be sitting around going what should i do now <laughs> you go might as well paint the, might as well paint the house 
Well, yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a good time to do little jobs like that. I've got to admit that I've, got, so I've been looking after kids a lot. Um, I haven't done too much. I've painted a bench. We had a bit of fun doing that in some lovely rainbow colours. Yeah. Um, Can you teach yeah. the kids to do it as well? Because obviously we've got children listening to this now. Um, should they get involved as well? If you if you do it as a family, it, it, you do it quicker, presumably. No, definitely. I mean, well, you say do it quicker. You can be, um, it, it can be very um, rewarding to do it together as a family. Uh, but I wear a beard of professional myself. I've often a bit like, no, you haven't cut that in properly. You're going against the grain. <laughs> like that. But, um, uh, yeah, no, it is, it is good to get the kids involved because obviously, you know, it's a, uh, it's it's one of those if you if you've got the the patience with it all it's uh, it's it's something it's good life skills to teach people because you never know you know uh, people often want to do a lot of things on their own and I find that even uh, I mean I'm nearly forty uh, so many of my friends that I've grown up with they they can't even put up a shelf they I know all these sorts of practical you know sort of applications yeah things that really you do need to you do need to know these things you can't always just rely on a tradesman no it's, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, because in times like this, particularly when people can't really get out and about, and you know, if something goes wrong around the house, you know, you really it would be great if you could fix your own problems. Well, that's it, and you know, and also it's rewarding as well. I mean, I've, I've, I was lucky enough; I started painting when I was eighteen. Started painting yachts, yeah, and that was a slightly rewarding. Although, obviously, when you're handing over something that's probably worth the best part of twenty million or whatever it is, and <laughs> it's just, you've got no actual <laughs> way of getting to that sort of level yourself. It's, right. it's not as rewarding as going in that someone's house and having. You know, uh, Doris say, oh, what an amazing job you've just done. I'm going to recommend you to everyone. I'm right. absolutely happy. And it's, you know, you, and you've also got the rewarding side yourself of actually, you know, achieving something that is a, from start to finish. And it's, it's a very therapeutic job. I actually enjoy it. Brilliant stuff. And, and are you going to manage okay without working for a bit? Uh, well, hopefully. I was going to ask, actually, if I could, um, if I do actually have trouble uh, procuring the money from the government, which I will need around about you, if yeah. I'm still in the same situation now, is whether or not I could uh, come back on and report that to you. Yes. Uh, because obviously, as a self employed person, it seems all hunky dory at the moment, but if I do have trouble getting that money, then things might be, you know. No, please do. Please do, because I mean, I'm very happy to make a case for anybody, and I'm, 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 whenever I do get a minister on, I, I ask them again about the self employed, because, you know, we don't want to see people falling through the gaps, and we don't want to see people being punished just because of some ridiculous quirk in the law which says that oh well you get paid differently so here's what we're going to give you so yeah definitely keep in touch ryan thank you very much indeed ryan murray a painter and decorator from murray town and country projects what a remarkable thing you can even make a painting lesson interesting on this show that's what's great about this show this is the independent republic of mike Grant. talk radio across the uk online on dab and on your smart speaker the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio if you enjoyed that be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1 monday to friday on talk radio via dab online or via the talk radio app and if you have an opinion on the stories we cover we'd love to hear from you call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at talk radio during the show to have your say mid-morning with mike graham talk radio